Welcome to the Chase MedSearch Podcast, the place where we dive deep into the medical device sales industry by discussing the current trends, timeless philosophies, and amazing experiences that shape our niche of the industry. Join me, Jordan Chase, on a guided tour as I speak with established sales leaders and professionals as they share stories that will help you get in, stay in, and thrive in your medical device sales career. Let's start the show. Welcome back to the Chase Med Search Podcast. Uh, this is a fun day to be doing this podcast with Scout Teal, my guest today, who I'm excited to talk to. Scout has a number of things in his background that I really like, and especially as we were talking in the pre-meeting here, basketball, I love basketball, both my kids play basketball. And just to brag, since it is my podcast, I can do that. Uh, <laughs> my daughter, Bea Chase, last night scored almost 40 points. Her school, St. Mary's Hall here in San Antonio, won their first ever district championship. The school was established in 1879, and the news interviewed her coach, her, and one of her teammates. So it was a great night all in all, and Scout and I are going to dive a little bit into his basketball background, and we're going to talk about what he's doing now in the world of medical sales. Scout is currently an associate sales rep for Stryker. He is an alumni of Lubbock Christian University. He had a former career in coaching and education at Nazareth Independent School District. He's a former sales rep for Premier Sportsplex. And of course, he was a college athlete, played in the NCAA for three years. Scout is a great guy. I've met him along the way in recruiting. I did not place him, but enjoyed our interaction so much. I kept him kind of on my watch list, and he's super energetic, outgoing, goal-oriented, loves meeting new people, building relationships, and is uh, just a really good guy and an asset to any organization. Scout, welcome to the Chase Med Search Podcast. Hey, Jordan. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. But yeah, basketball is pretty, pretty rich in my family where I come from. <laughs> uh, my aunts play for Marsha Sharp. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, my wow. cousins played for uh, Bob Knight in the early 2000s at Tech. My dad oh, oh. Uh, played over at, um, let's see, played two places. He played at Texas Western, and then he went and played at MSU over at Wichita Falls. Mm -hmm. So um, he, he got to play for his, his brother-in-law, so you can imagine how that worked out. Um, they're pretty intense at sometimes, but they won a lot of games together. And so whenever it came time for me to pick up that round ball, it just came pretty naturally, I guess. I didn't really have an option. And so that's great. That's um, great. How, yeah, it's, it's awesome. How, how old were you when you first picked up a basketball, would you say? Oh, shoot. Uh, I don't, you don't I remember. Probably, I was, yeah, <laughs> it's probably at least one years old, two years old. I mean, we had basketball uh, put up outside of our house. My dad had put up a huge foundation and built a barn on that foundation. And so mm -hmm. we weren't storing, you know, our farming equipment because uh, we caught farm back um, where I'm at. Okay. Um, we You what be, kind of farm? Cotton farm. Cotton farm. Cotton farmers. Cotton. What is so like uh, my yeah we have about four thousand acres of cotton. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. For a couple generations, my family's been farming the land about four thousand acres. Wow, you know all about hard work. Oh, dude, th that was it. My dad made a deal with me. He said, "If you're not in the gym, you're gonna have to be helping on the farm." 
So I got my gym time <laughs> any chance I got. Because, you know, yeah, you might be tired, might be breathing heavy, but at least you're not out in 100 degree weather chopping cotton. So, <laughs> wow, that's that would be an interesting tangent to go down because I, I don't even know how cotton grows or how does it need a lot of water? How does yes. that work? Yes, yes, it needs water. It needs um, it needs water in certain months, and then it needs to be dry in certain months, and that way you can harvest it. And so, mm-hmm. you got to be a man of faith if you're going to be out here in West Texas farming cotton, because um, <laughs> it was not meant to be out in this area, but somehow we were stubborn enough to make it work. So catch on and make it work, because I've been in West Texas in the summer; it's hot, and there's not a cloud in sight to provide any rain. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So let that transition to my next topic here. That's what made me decide, hey, I'm going to have to do something else. I'm not going to be able to farm. <laughs> I'm not as Absolutely. good a man as my father was. And yeah. so, yeah, with stick, my Let me stick with that. cotton just for a second because I grew okay, up in okay. Michigan and I'm used to these giant harvesters with corn, picking corn. And, you know, I even in summer, certain summers went out and detasseled corn as a kid. But there were these giant harvesters that would come through and, and pick it up. It, Right. Is is that the case with cotton or does it have to be so, hand, so, um, hand-picked? How does that work? <laughs> As of recently, we've had a, a breakthrough in technology in the cotton farming industry. Um, mm-hmm. We used to have this thing called a cotton stripper, very mm-hmm. similar to what you would see when you're harvesting corn, only it was you know specifically more for cotton. And it would go into the rows of cotton and it would pick the cotton bowls off the plant and it would process it. And to the point to where it would be in the back of the cotton stripper and it would get full. You would dump it into a bull buggy, we call it. And that mm-hmm. it's like a cart that you would hook up to a tractor. And then that cart would take it to what we call a module builder. And it's just a square, almost rectangle machine that just compresses it into a into a rectangle. That's what we would call a cotton mm-hmm. module. And then mm-hmm. the, the, the cotton gins would come by and pick it up. We would have to number them, let them know what farm this came from, yada, yada, yada. So that way they would be able to process it. But now, in the last two years, we've had something called um, a round bale. And this machine is similar to a uh, cotton stripper, but only now it's just one machine needed for all those processes. So it will it'll strip the cotton from the, the plant. Hmm. It will process it in the back of that uh, uh, um, machine, and it will make it into a round bale of cotton, kind of like you would see like a round bale of hay. Yeah. Only it puts it in as cotton and it tarps it up. And once it gets full, that machine tells you, hey, this thing needs to be dropped. And you basically press a button. It opens up the back door, the back gate, whatever you want to call it, of the module builder, not module builder, of the harvest baler. And it um, lets it go and you have a round bale of cotton. And so instead of those square rectangles that you would see, out in the mm-hmm. old days, more and more farmers out here are starting to do this round bailing process instead. And so what that does wow. is it cuts back on people you have to hire to run all these different machines. You can do it this all in one, mm-hmm. one, uh, one man job deal. Um, you can cover more ground with it. You don't have to worry mm-hmm. about um, all these other things that would kind of just, you know, be a step in the process. Now it's just more simple, more fluent, and you get a lot more done. Wow. Farmers are the ultimate businessmen <laughs> yeah yeah you I can mean, say that <laughs> there's a lot that goes into that that that's that's fantastic thanks for uh, providing that overview of the cotton business let's let's talk round ball real quick little hoops action let's do it. uh when did you figure out you're pretty good at basketball 
Well, to be honest, I thought I was good from the very beginning. Um, I, I didn't know that I wasn't until my, mm-hmm. my grandfather one day told me I was in eighth grade. And let me just set the record straight. I was a six, four, eighth grader. <laughs> and when I would go down, the entire lane would go down with me. There was no, no, no mercy being shown. I was falling and whoever was in my vicinity was yep. going with me. I was so uncoordinated. Mm-hmm. And, um, my, my, my grandfather said I sounded like a Clydesdale horse running down the court and my feet were so heavy. So okay. he told me, you know, he said, you know, you're not bad. You've gotten better. He goes, but you're, but you still suck. <laughs> Trust grandpa to come through yeah. with some truth. Yeah. He, he yeah. laid a truth bomb there on me. Okay. And uh, my cousin at the time was still playing for coach Knight. Okay. Over at tech. Coach Bob Knight, former yes. Indiana Hoosier coach. Oh man. I grew up legend. watching a lot of those games on TV. A legend as far as yeah. our family is concerned. And so um, he told me, he said, when Corbin's coming down here in the summer and he has time off from practice and study and everything, I want you to co-work with him. I'm going to pay him to train you. Um, you're going to have to take this seriously. And you got to decide mm-hmm. right now if you want to be good or if you're going to be average. If you're just going to mm-hmm. be average, you know, you're not going to go anywhere with this. If you really want to play college ball, you're going to have to take a commitment to the next level like you've never seen before. It's going to take a lot of hard work, and only you can decide what you want to do with this. Hmm. So I thought about it, and I, I called my cousin and said, yes, I'm serious about it. I'd like to, to do this. And we started in the summer. Uh, yeah. We'd be at the gym at 530 in the morning. We'd go for two hours, come back to my house out, out on the farm. We'd eat hmm. breakfast. Uh, we'd talk about some things and we'd go back up there after uh, right after lunch and we'd hit another two hours. And I did that every day for an entire summer going into mm. high school, going into my wow. freshman year. And so um, day by day, uh, month by month, I got a little bit more coordinated. I got my feet under me a little bit. I kind of mm-hmm. I got comfortable in my body. Um, yeah. you, know, you grow so much at a young age. You're kind of just out there and you, well, really you can't do control. You did. And so, hey. Yeah. Wish uh, pass some of that on to my kids. That'd be great. <laughs> Absolutely great. Um, so you had to gain, you know, balance and agility. Were we, to help with that? Were you jumping rope? What, what did yes, they? Yes, yeah, yes, that was it. That was the number one thing. Jumping rope. Um, I had a. He got a weight. He brought a weight jacket over from um, their locker room. I guess over at the United Spirit Arena where Tech plays. Mm-hmm. And I would put it on, and he would do it with me. You know, we keep each other accountable. Yeah, we'll go for two minutes. You go for two minutes. Okay, if I go for mm-hmm. three minutes, you try to go for three minutes, and just let's see how far we can go until we can't go no more. And so yeah. he taught me about all that and the work ethic and everything. And then on the other end of it, he taught me about how to earn it in the kitchen. You know, like you can't just sit around drinking coke. You can't be sitting around eating crap and everything. You know, if you want to mm-hmm. work hard in the gym and everything, you got to work hard outside the gym to you know maximize what you just did. You know, all that sweat you just gave. Uh, you better be eating right too. And so um, he really showed, you know, grilled chicken and rice, baby. That's okay. that's what we ate all summer, chicken and rice, chicken and rice. Wow. And mm. so I put on a lot of mass. Uh, I mean, for for me, you know, being 6'6", six, six, I probably weighed, you know, 135 pounds. I was a skinny, skinny kid. And so, mm. you know, he set that right for me. I got up, you know, when it was all said and done my senior year, I was 198, almost 200, which – Still for being wow. six eight at the time, you know, that was a big jump a couple of years put on that much uh, weight. And so 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 let's break that down a little bit because there's there's two things I'm curious about. 
Uh, this is my podcast, whoever's listening, so I can ask all sorts of stuff that don't have anything <laughs> to do with medical devices. And I appreciate you listening. Um, but two two questions. Back Backtracking to training. So you're jumping rope with a weighted vest. What else are you doing um, for training? For, for I mean, number one was jump rope. We did plyometrics. We would do bleacher laps, everything with this, everything with this weight jacket. And then we would okay. just do reg, regular things, you know, out on the court, you know, uh, we'd work on in, our inside game, ripping the ball, keeping it low or keeping it high, depending on what we were working on mm-hmm. and exploding to the basket, being squared up when you're going to the basket, um, yeah. not being timid. And so we would do that, you know, for the whole entire session. And at the very end, we'd go over everything again without the weight jacket and you would just feel like a weight was li- i mean literally <laughs> it was so about happening. Yeah. a weight was lifted off of you and you saw you know uh, how much your body had adjusted to that weight and how much it had compensated you know and what hmm. you were able to do without it now it kind of it, it for me it was kind of a of a mind breaker you know like it was a confidence sure. booster like i can do this you know this is how it's, this is what i'm capable of I just have how to heavy was that weight, weight jacket? It was twenty five pounds. It was a twenty five pound weight jacket. Twenty five so, pound weight jacket. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> he and and in my mind, you know, if he's doing this under Coach Knight, you know, like this is the stuff. So I bought into it a hundred percent. I mean, that's one thing. <laughs> if you're going to do something, you got to buy into it. Your mind has got to be given to that thing solely, and no yeah. doubt is allowed. You know, you got to believe a hundred percent what you're doing is the right thing. And so that's a lot of parallels there to other things you would get into later on in life. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) So diet, chicken and rice, chicken and rice. You're not eating that for breakfast, are you? What do you eat? We would actually, we would, uh, we, I would drink eggs and I saw Rocky and he thought it was funny. He was like, yeah, sure. You drink your eggs, whatever you think it's going to help you. I'm not going to tell you no. If Uh you get salmonella though, your mama is not going to be blaming me. Right, so. right. Yeah, we're, we do not prescribe drinking raw eggs on the Chase MedSearch podcast here, guys. Okay. So, but you're doing yeah. that. I bet you were eating tons of uh, ice cream and probably drinking a lot of shakes, protein shakes, all kinds of stuff. Yes. Yes, okay. I was drinking shakes. I was drinking a lot of protein shakes. I would, uh, I would crack three eggs, throw in the protein powder, and then I would throw in some oats, throw in, yeah, about a cup of oats, throw in a banana, maybe some blueberries, and mm-hmm. then mix that up in a shake and um, blend it up, I guess, and, and put it down the hatch and then we'd go yeah. to work. So you said at the beginning of that process, you weighed what? One, one. Yeah. Freshman year, I was probably six, six, like one thirty five to one forty. Like I was, mm-hmm. maybe I'm off a little bit, but I'm trying to remember, like I was not above a buck 50. Right. So okay. I was, I was pretty, pretty skinny. And uh, I mean, I came by it naturally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then you, uh, once you went through your process and your transformation, you, you ended up at what weight? Oh, when, by the time I was done in my senior year, I'd signed and I was, you know, playing my last few games in my high school career. I was at 195 to 198. I was right in between there, nice. right okay. under 200. Got it. So you're putting in the work, uh, you're eating right, you're doing the right things. And how you were going to, you were getting recruited. You were going to get recruited at 6'8", 200, you know, near 200 right. pounds. Right. Uh, how did you decide to go to Lubbock Christian? Well, um, my family's from Lubbock. Uh, my grandfather and my grandmother mm-hmm. uh, were always my number one fans. You know, right next to my dad and my mom, like they were they were at every game, and um, I wanted to I wanted to give them an opportunity to be able to see me play mm, yeah. and 
Lubbock Christian University at the time was transitioning from NAIA to D2. And D2, uh, you you tend to get, you know, a lot more money when it comes to scholarships. Yeah. And so I, I was a small town kid. and I grew up in a town called Abernathy. It was outside of Lubbock, uh, about 20 minutes from Lubbock. And if I went and played there, I knew people could come watch, come uh, come see me. Um, yeah. You know, just you know, uh, and the coach that was there, uh, he's trying. He, he does a good job of getting a lot of hometown kids around the area. He's able to build a fan base by that uh, strategy. He doesn't, you know, go out the full roster, but he will always get a couple kids, two or three kids that are from mm-hmm. the area on that team, and give them a chance to show out for their home crowd. Yeah. And so uh, that was something that I thought, you know, would be something that would be good for me. That's great. And um, it's funny. I mean, I say funny. It's ironic. I made that decision for my grandfather. I signed really early my junior year or into my junior year. I gave a verbal commitment um, in the summer. Mm-hmm. And when that summer ended, my grandfather had actually passed away. He, he oh, a, he, huh. yeah. He had a, he had a private pond uh, where he'd go fishing uh-huh. and he his fishing line got caught on an irrigation pump and mm-hmm. he went out there to uh to go and see if he get his line, you know, uncaught, mm-hmm. you know, get it unhooked. And he ended up falling in and that pump caught him. And, and he, unfortunately he drowned, but wow. um, I'm not, I don't mean to be a downer or anything, but if like that ended up motivating me, you know, I went into mm-hmm. my senior year. I wanted yeah. to, you know, everything I did, I wanted to do it for him and make him proud. And so, yeah. you know, I, even though he wasn't there for my college career, like that was still like a mindset for me that like, this is why I'm here. It was because yeah. of him. And so it, I bet he was take, watching. He was watching. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm hundred percent convinced. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a uh, talk about, you know, and that's something that a theme kind of with medical reps and, and folks is overcoming some adversity in life, early in life, typically that, uh, and responding to challenges as you already had been doing. And then you couple that with the loss of your grandfather and, and then dedicating your senior season to him. That's, that's, I've heard similar stories from folks in our industry before about that and mm-hmm. there's there's really something to that is is you take a blow and then the question is how do you respond oh right i mean you ask anyone everyone has their own problems everyone has their own obstacles that's one thing i was taught like in that sense you're not special like everyone has to go through something and what carves a man out what makes a man is how he responds to those situations and so Mm. if you want to sit back and think life's just going to be easy going no adversity then you're probably not living the right life you know you want to be challenged you you look for that and you look to grow from those challenges that are presented to you and so um to me, I, that's just how I, I was raised. I never thought for a second, oh, woe is me, or I can't do this. It's just mm-hmm. like, when's this going to happen? How am I going to make it happen? Um, what am I going to do when this happens? And so that's always how I looked at it. So when I was sitting there coaching and everything, COVID had hit, I was sitting there thinking, well, dang, I might not even you know get to have a season next year. Um, hmm. My wife at yeah. the time was having trouble um, we were having trouble having a child. We had been trying for about a year and a half mm-hmm. and we were kind of worried that maybe that she was in a position to where we couldn't have kids naturally. And so the medical device field was always kind of in the back of my mind. I had a, sure. a longtime family friend that was sitting there telling me, I think you'd be really good at it, man. You know, with your, your stature, your personality, I think you'd give it a shot. And so I did some research. I looked into Stryker. I looked into Zimmer Biomed, you know, all the the big companies. And I just went on LinkedIn and just started 
adding people, messaging people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know I was annoying. I know I was a nuisance, but I didn't care. You know, I was going to make a connection with someone. I was going to talk to somebody that was going to be able to help me get to that next level. And so Mm -hmm. I ended up talking to you and, you know, you, you you were straight up. You said like, this is what it takes. Um, This is what's looking like in the market right now for hiring for the positions I have. I don't think are for you right now. Um, If something comes across though, I'll let you know. And we'll stay in contact. And sure enough, you know, me and you stayed in contact during that whole entire time. I think it was a year after is when I finally just went ahead and quit my job and um, started sending out my resume. I kind of burn the boats mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted it to be to where I didn't have any excuse to fall back and almost be lazy. I wanted mm-hmm. to yep. give it to where I had no choice. I had to find a job in medical sales because yeah. I just quit my other job. And so that's exactly what I did. And lo and behold, I was extremely blessed. God had been watching. He had taken care of us. Um, after I quit my job, within the next three weeks, I had been offered a career at uh, Stryker. Yeah. And so um, awesome. I, I know that doesn't happen that often, that quick, but they were very uh, desperate for somebody to go into trauma down in uh, the Midland Odessa area. How did that and work, so, Scout? How did, you, how did you hear about the job? How did you interview for it what did that look like there was there was a girl that i had kind of kind of like what i did with you i kept in contact with you text check mm-hmm. in see how everything was going if if there was anything i could be doing different or if there's yeah. anything that i needed to you know uh attack it and and see what i could get um there was a girl by the name of uh, maggie jacob i'll never forget her she is the reason that i got this job or this career going mm-hmm. uh, she was an ent rep in amarillo Okay. You know, it's a, a town up in the Panhandle. I'm sure majority of people know where Amarillo is, up in the Panhandle of Texas. And um, Amarillo by morning by George Strait really <laughs> helped with that. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I, I'll digress for a second. Every uh, every Tuesday and almost every Thursday, me and my partner we have shoulder surgeries up in Amarillo, and uh-huh. so we're up, we're up we're up about four in the morning. We're trying to make it to Amarillo by seven a.m. And you better believe we have George Strait Blair in Amarillo <laughs> by morning. <laughs> anyway i I, I digress but um, i told jacob you know in a message uh that hey i just quit my job i'm pretty serious about this Mm -hmm. i know you know like you don't have to but if anything comes up please don't hesitate to throw my name out there here's my resume and so she went and messaged the the hiring manager and the thing that i didn't know at the time she had mm-hmm. left Amarillo. She had been in Asheville, <laughs> North Carolina. She had transferred doing huh. another ENT spot up, you know, on the East Coast. And she went out of her way to make sure that she'd get in contact for that manager that was hiring to, you know, give me a shot at what I was wanting to attain. And she didn't have to do that. She yeah. she sent a personal message after she made the reference, sent the email, talked about my background, talking about how I am West Texas. I grew up, mm-hmm. you know, farming the land. I grew up with a family that had been here for generations and the culture and the town and the people meant everything to people like me and how I would be a perfect fit for this position. And That's she made fantastic. such a, I mean, yeah, she went yeah. all the way out of her way. To do that. Yeah, she didn't have and to do really any of advocated that. for you. And that's the one thing I noticed with people with Striker. When I was going on LinkedIn messaging people that were already mm-hmm. involved in the industry, yeah. the majority of people that I got messaging me back, the majority of people that gave me their phone number said, Hey, reach out if you need anything, were people that are at Striker. And yeah. so for me, naturally, I just kind of 
gravitated towards striker. That's great. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I don't know why it was that way, but it just, it was. And so mm-hmm. I would have been happy to have any job at the time, you know, sure. in the industry. Well, you had it quit just your so- job. Tell us about that a little bit, because that's like, uh, I think of, uh, I forget the name of the Spanish explorer that came to Florida and burned oh, the boats. So Cortez or yeah, what? Cortez. <laughs> so there's no going back. I mean, yeah, you quit yeah, your I- job, uh, you're married. I think you and your wife were trying to get pregnant or she was yes. pregnant at the yeah, time. No, 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 we were, we, so we were, yeah. try, we were trying to get yeah. pregnant still. And yeah. I knew the insurance, I knew the benefits with our working with striker. I knew I was uh-huh. going to be making, you know, this stupid money that everyone associates with the medical device careers. Sure. Um, it'd be a little bit and I'm still working towards that, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I told her like the insurance and the way they have things set up, like it can give us a shot though to see what we need to do as far as having a, having a child. And she supported me a hundred percent of the way, bless her heart. You know, she grew up in this hometown that I was coaching, you know, she had been there her whole life Mm -hmm. and she kind of just said, all right, like I'm going to follow my man, whatever he thinks is Mm -hmm. best. I'm going to follow him. And so she went with me. She, uh, when I found out I was hired, when I burnt the boats, um, Mm-hmm. I was in a position where I thought, okay, we're having trouble having a kid. My paycheck here at this place where I'm coaching, which I love to death. I love that town still to this day. Um, I'm like, we're going to have to make a change or we can't afford to what we're going to have to do. And uh, I don't want to rely on her parents to help us. I don't want to have to rely on my parents to help us. I want this to be us. Mm-hmm. And so um, I told her that this is what I want to do. Do you support yeah. me? And she said, I trust you. And so, that, that's great. We had made it to state that year. I was an assistant baseball coach. We had mm-hmm. made it to state that year. And so it was June 15th, something like that, mid-June, when we had finally got done and we lost in the state championship game. And we were riding back to the Nazareth. And I had those boys in the locker room. And I texted McKenzie, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna let everyone know. And so basically we were, it was us. And I told those boys that I was out of here and it was, it was tough. It was hard. Yeah. You know, we all circled around, we cried and pat each other on the back and, uh, <laughs> and, and I walked out of that locker room and I just walked in hoping that, you know, that God was going to have a path laid out for me and uh, yeah. pretty much that's what happened. Um, I, I messaged her, I messaged Maggie Jacob riding back to Lubbock that night that I quit. Wow. Just and you quit because you wanted to focus, right? Dedicate a hundred percent of yes. your time to getting that yes. job. What yes. was it that was so compelling about medical device sales that it was all or nothing for you at this point? Honestly, the fact that you get to be uh, what was what resonated with me is that you get to make an impact in in the OR room in surgeries. You have you get to make. Um, make a difference and help mm-hmm. those doctors with patients. When I was in sixth grade, I had me and a group of boys that I went to school with. We were out on the, on, on someone's farm. We were tearing down a deck where we this farmer had wanted his house to be taken down and we were tearing down a deck. And uh, I ended up in an accident getting hit with a sledgehammer. Oh. And yeah. And, and where? Had, uh, in Not the, in your face. head, obviously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got, hit, I, I got hit in the face. I had an orbital blowout. And um, oh. my eye and the nerves behind my eye was caught and the, the fracture had basically trapped the nerves and my eye was hanging down as far as like <laughs> looking down. My right eye could not look up. And so I had to go into surgery, several mm. surgeries. I, th- I ended up mm. having like four or five surgeries. And um, 
basically I have I had a striker plate that that was in me. Wow. And, uh, and, huh. uh, <laughs> and so uh, I still to this day, I have the striker plate from that incident. Talk about an irony of ironies. Um, and so, yeah. Now you work so, for them. Yeah, now, now you I actually, work. you sell plates, I think, yeah. right? I mean, you're yeah. involved in. Yeah. Well, I, I did. I? For a year I did. I, when I was doing the okay. trauma in Midland, Odessa, I was selling the plates. Let me stop you. How does a sledgehammer accident happen? I just don't, I, I want to warn everybody and as many people as I can. <laughs> Well, when you when you get a bunch of when you get a bunch of sixth grade boys that yeah. accidentally might have gotten into their grandpa's liquor cabinet, <laughs> uh, there's no telling what had happened. Uh, it wasn't me. I, I was not. I, if my mom and dad end up listening to this, mom and dad, yeah. it wasn't me. Uh, yeah. I was not the one drinking. So yeah. <laughs> you know what? I mean, growing up in the country the way I did. It, granted, it wasn't West Texas, but it was. It was. Climax Michigan population eight hundred farm right right I, yeah I mean I I threw a silo bolt once when I was a kid and hit my best friend in the head uh, <laughs> with it and, and it required stitches you know so I I, I get it I get it hey, boys will be boys that's what I say we will and, and it's not a foreign concept to me that you could get injured but that a sledgehammer accident man yeah 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 so was, okay so you had you had had this connection since really a youth was seeing the difference that medical device products could make in right life. Okay. right right i mean i was to the point to where when i was in junior high i liked going hunting with my father and my grandfather a lot and you know i shoot i, I when i aim my gun i, I aim with my right eye when mm. i'm playing basketball i'm looking up at the rim you know i obviously got to be able to look up yep. i got to be able to get the ball like i was at a point right there where i thought like oh no like what's gonna what am i gonna be able to yeah. do what's gonna is it happen? over yeah. yeah. Is, is is the world or the life that I you know want to live is over as I know it right now. And so when uh, it was all said and done, Stryker was the plate that was put in me. At least that's what I was told. Uh, yeah. That'd be something if I went in and Synthes was in me. I'd have to get that sucker out. But, uh, <laughs> A plate transfer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, yeah. And so whenever it just so happened that Stryker uh, called me for my first interview, you know, they asked why Stryker. I told them that story and they were just, they were just in awe. Like, this is, yeah. that's insane. You know, and like, thank you for sharing that story with us. And, um, before I knew it, I was on my second interview, my third interview. Yeah. And, uh, my manager at the time, Tam Pruitt, awesome guy. He called me when I was leaving Midland, when I had to sit down with my senior manager, uh, he called me and said, would you want to meet me in Dallas? So I turned around right there from leaving Midland and went straight into Dallas and uh, I met the regional manager, um, Colin, and my manager, Tam, and they sat down, told them my story, told them how I grew up in West Texas, talked about the days on the cotton farm, talked about basketball, you know, talked about, you know, I'm a history nerd. When I was coaching and teaching, I was teaching history, threw a little bit of that stuff out there. And it was just, we just kind of sat down and just, you know, shoot the gun. That's great. Talk to me about, you got the job. Tell me about training at Stryker. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's this way for all sections of the industry, but for trauma, I felt like I was drinking, you know, water from a fire hose. Yep. Um, I had no medical background as far as, you know, the knowledge goes into all that stuff. I just went on, went online. I started researching. Um, and honestly, it was for me, I looked at it like playing basketball. Like you can practice all you want. You can shoot in the gym all you want but until you get that game time experience that's when you really grow. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like 
out in Midland, Odessa, there was me and my senior rep, and that was our team right there. Yeah. Um, he he just said, you know, first week I kind of followed him around, and then mm-hmm. after that he said, all right, go get it. And so <laughs> I I walked in, I had a notepad. Uh-huh. I would write down stuff. If I messed up, if I made a mistake, I wrote down that mistake on my notepad. Yep. And I would go and mm-hmm. research and why I was wrong, you know, what was the correct answer, what I should have done. Mm-hmm. I'd call my manager or talk to my senior rep, kind of that whole ordeal. Mm-hmm. And I just did that until eventually I kind of got with the groove, built up more confidence. And I mean, I didn't. What types of procedures are you in beginning, uh, kind of early days? In the early days, um, Midland Odessa, it's old, old country, a lot of oil. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of hands, uh, a lot of distal radiuses. We did a couple gammas here and there. Uh, I'm trying to think ankles, a lot of ankles. And so, I mean, you said gammas. What is a gamma? A gamma nail. It's a gamma nail. Oh uh, yeah, strikers, okay. strikers, gamma nail. So like when you have an intertroch fracture with that femur, mm-hmm. okay, um, you'll sit there and ream and throw a, a gamma nail in there. It's a okay. about pretty mm-hmm. pretty standard procedure for strikers trauma line. People getting their hands and fingers jammed in something and getting it smashed up. Type of yes, thing. yes, okay. yep. yes. And so, so those are kind of the those are the training wheel procedures, so to speak, when you're just right. getting going. And then, exactly. At what point are you covering a case all on your own? Oh, within the first two weeks. First two weeks. Like okay. week, yeah. week and a half. Mm-hmm. I was lucky. The doctors out in, in West Texas are very self-sufficient. I mm-hmm. mean, they would like for their reps to be there. If they're not, it's not the end of the world. Um, they're going to get it done just because for how rural that whole area in Texas yeah. is. You know, you don't always get a rep. And so that's why they're really thankful when you do show up. If you're one of those reps that are there consistently there, uh, Mm -hmm. helping them, answering, answering questions, getting things to that hospital that they need ahead of time, um, they'll be loyal back just because of that whole area and how it's landscaped and how it's set up. Are there any parallels from your sports background with what you do today? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. What would you say um, that looks like if, you know, you like I heard you say it's game time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, you, you, you never, never get comfortable. All some, there's always something that can go wrong. And if you're not ready, um, just like in the game of basketball, if someone gets hurt or if something goes down or if a player fouls out, you know, you've got to be ready to make an adjustment. And how are you going to make that adjustment? And so, mm-hmm. That carries over, I think, in medical devices in the OR. If you're doing a revision or something, who knows what's going to happen you're in a revision? You better be ready. Um, if a doctor asked, well, do we have this at the hospital? Um, did you prep for that? Is the question you got to ask yourself, did I see this happening? And so you, your job is to look at every possible scenario before the surgery even starts and make sure you have that patient and doctor's back. Um, for I mean, for... I'm trying to think of, a, of an example. Uh, just the other day, me and my partner were in Amarillo. We have a couple of doctors doing shoulders at the same time. So we're scattered. We're doing cases in different rooms. There was a doctor that was sitting there trying to make his humeral cut on the humerus, on the humeral head. And he had never seen it before. But there was like bony ingrowth inside of the canal. Hmm. And it, it had like, like ossified, like it was mm. calcified bone in there and it messed the reamer, uh, took the reamer off its plane and we weren't able to get the stem in there. Mm. And so without thinking, I, uh, I, I run and grab our, uh, our fracture stem, uh, surgery set or tray in case he wants to just go that different route and have our fracture stem ready. 
my partner sits there and tells him, you know, these are your options. He brought out all, three different STEM options for him, you know, different mm-hmm. sizes, um, what he could do. If he wants to cement, he'd go with this STEM. If he doesn't want to cement, go with this STEM. If he wants to, if he thinks that he should be able to ream a little bit more, um, mm-hmm. here's, here are these two, uh, we call them punches. You know, you can go get in the canal and maybe take that osteophytes down, down a little bit. And so, he, he he just without a drop of a hat, we gave our doctor, you know, four or five options that he can right. do at that point. Mm-hmm. And the doctor's going to be a lot more calm when reps that know what they're doing are with oh, yeah. them in those situations. And it just makes the whole flow less, a little bit less tense. And so the, the tech is relaxed. The doctor's more relaxed. You know, everyone is sitting there working together. No one's shouting. It's just another day at the office when you have, you know, a perspective like that. When a rep does his job. The doctor appreciates it. Some really great teamwork going on there. Mm-hmm. Coordination. You got the senior rep, you got you, doctor. Everybody's kind of flowing together on solving the issue and things like that. And, and obviously that you've been doing that for a long time, since a young age. That's pretty fantastic. What was the biggest surprise getting into medical sales for you based on your background? Um, let's see. I mean, the, the biggest surprise... I, I think the fact that doctors, there's a lot of doctors out there. I, I shouldn't say all, but there are a lot of doctors out there that do count on their reps for advice. You know, mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm walking into this. I'm like, oh, they're the doctor. I'm just going to sit here and, you know, just wait for them to say say what they need. I'll tell them what to grab. I'll write down the, the reference number for that part or the serial number for that implant. And I'm going to, you know, get the nurse signature and I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. And that's not it. Like you're, you're a part of that case. You're a part of that patient's uh, surgery. You know, there's times where they're looking at you asking, what do you think? You know? And of course the doctor still makes that uh, final decision, but mm-hmm. he trusts your knowledge. He trusts your wisdom and your experience of, you know, doing cases like this to hear your input. And yeah. so you have a say, and, and I, maybe that's not in every OR, but with doctors that trust their reps, like they'll lean on you for, for advice in some instances. And so surprising, you know, isn't it? Cause you, didn't, yeah. you don't have a medical degree. No, I was coach, <laughs> sir. I was coaching high school basketball two years ago. Um, <laughs> you want to see me flip a quarter and tell you what to do? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but in the moment when the doctor looks at you and it is game time, you need to make that free throw. So, so to speak, right. with all the pressure. on Right. You. Right. And, yeah. and of course, now after doing this for a, about two years, you know, like, I, I think I bring a value to that OR when they ask for my input and I've paid attention. I've done my knowledge. I've asked questions when I didn't know. And so I'd like to thank, you know, from two, two years before, you know, I've had a lot of growth in between then. And so there you go. When I was doing the trauma in Midland, Odessa, there was not a shoulder rep, uh, shoulder mm. fell on the trauma reps. And so I was doing shoulders, you know, with my senior rep for that first year when I was in old country. And so when I came over to Lubbock, it was just kind of picking up where I left off. Um, yeah. That's one thing my senior rep said, like, oh, man, this has been really nice. I've ha- I haven't really had to train you hardly at all. Hmm. Like, <laughs> like, this, like he, he trusts me pretty quick right, right from the start. And the flow was right there. It was pretty good. And so um, yeah. I just built off, you know, little day by day trying to get better. You know, never like you asking about connections from basketball to medical mm-hmm. device industries. 
every day you should be a little bit better than what you were the day before. Absolutely. Never quit, never quit improving. If you quit improving, you've either gotten complacent, you've gotten lazy and you're only hurting yourself. Yeah. Wise words from someone that's new in the industry, but has been at this in terms of the things you're talking about for a long time. I hear continuous improvement, daily discipline of getting better and showing up and working hard doing the right things and learning all the time. It, it's key. It's key. And you've got it. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying, taking it day by day. You know, you, you can't, you can't get too long sighted. You know, this is a day by day mindset. When you do a job like this, I feel like if you get too far, if you get caught looking too far into it, um, you end up missing, you know, some important things that you need to be able to grasp in the moment. That's fantastic. Scout, I, I really appreciate your time. You're a busy guy. Um, I don't think we've ever had a podcast where we covered uh, cotton farming, <laughs> sledgehammer accidents, uh, yeah. basketball, basketball at a high level, and, and medical sales. This is this is a great day for me. Well, I really well, Jordan, you're a man on. of many parts. You were right there in all those conversations. So I mean, I think I think you might have the ability to string off this and do another podcast and I don't know what you there's want to call a lot it, of material <laughs> there, there's so much material here Joe, just... Joe Rogan better watch out <laughs> hey if, if Spotify wanted to give me a hundred million dollar contract I wouldn't turn it down you know uh, <laughs> but uh, he's the best in the business that's for sure but Scout uh, you're on your way to being the best in the business thank you for being on today I really appreciate it hope you're willing to come back sometime fill us in on how things are going I'd love to I'd love to Jordan Thank you for joining us on the Chase MedSearch podcast. I hope that you gained some helpful insight from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes and give us a like on your favorite streaming platform. It really helps grow our audience. For more information on Chase MedSearch, visit our website at chasemedsearch.com. Thanks again for joining us. Until next time, I'm Jordan Chase, and this has been the Chase MedSearch podcast.